Thank you for tuning into Holistic Finance, where we promote financial balance and financial health. Our mission is to simplify your finances so you can focus on your practice and enjoy life. Now here are your hosts, Ryan Burklow and Alex Collins. Welcome back to Holistic Finance. I'm your host today, Alex Collins. Uh, today, we're going to jump into the topic of, of business planning with attorney Stacey Romberg. So jumping into getting an idea as to what are the questions to ask, what are things that normally need to be done, and how do we go about uh, tackling these issues? So welcome, Stacy. Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Absolutely. Look forward to our conversation. Now, you and I have known each other for, for what, about 10 years now? Probably. Wow. Yeah, quite a while. Yeah, we've done uh, quite a bit of work together and, and uh, shared quite a few clients and quite a few successes. So I look forward to, to this conversation. In terms of jumping into things, what are talk a little bit about yourself and what drew you into to business planning uh, law in the first place. Absolutely. Well, I'm an attorney here in Seattle. I have a small law firm. It's a virtual law firm. I believe that I was one of the very first virtual law firms in the city of Seattle. And we do absolutely represent small businesses. We also do estate planning and probate. Probably, I would say the reason why I got into business law in the first place is the energy of the entrepreneurs. I, I can't even tell you how much I enjoy that. I enjoy the, the meetings that I have with people, and they are just so energized and creative, creative and excited and ready to go. And it's, it's a blast to just be a part of that and be a part of their team. Yeah, I, I know I've loved working with you in the past, uh, both on, on my personal stuff and we're we're in the process of sitting down and going through some of the the, uh, the business uh, uh, planning with you right now. But that brings up a good question. When is it that somebody should sit down and have a conversation with an attorney? What is it that is the impetus or the start for that conversation? I would say when they're ready to get started and they are serious enough that they are ready to start, you know, the expenditure of money and and ready to, you know, start getting their licensing and start getting set up. Because really the first thing is, well, what am I going to be when I grow up? What kind of entity do I want to be? And although there's nothing anybody really can do that we can't undo and fix, I think it's better to start with an attorney from the get-go and make good decisions about you know entity selection and and you know the relationship between the business owners and and all that sort of thing, you know at the beginning rather than you know, down the road like so many people do. Sure. Well, well, I think I know what you're talking about from a, a entity choice standpoint. Um, some of our, our naturopaths may not understand exactly what you're talking about. Talk a little bit more about what are the various different choices for entities and and maybe a little bit on why somebody would choose one entity over another? Well, in particular with naturopaths, I think it's really important 
that they understand and choose a professional entity, meaning a professional limited liability company or a professional corporation. And I'm sure many of them who, you know, lack counsel don't know that and they go ahead and they form, you know, an LLC or maybe a corporation online. And that entity may not actually be protecting them from liability. The, um, it's not, I don't think it's as clear cut as it should be in Washington statutory law. But if you look at Washington case law, which obviously no, you know, nobody who's not an attorney, nobody's going to be looking at the case law, right? But, you know, it, it, there are a number of cases that consider when somebody has a professional license, they form a business. Um, it's not a professional, you know, business like a PLLC or a PS. They consider that business to be misformed. So that if somebody sues them, it's fairly easy to just sort of blow past the entity and find individual liability for whatever that is. And you want to avoid that, of course, at all costs. Yeah, I mean, that can have a devastating, devastating effect on somebody's uh, personal finances. Absolutely. And it's important to, you know, form that correctly and to understand what the requirements are around the professional entities. Um, for example, you know, we've had um, questions and issues because, say, somebody um, wants their spouse to own some of the business, but the spouse does not have the same um, licensing that the primary person does who is providing the services. And you can't do that pursuant to the statute. But you can't have, you know, owners of the business who do not have the same, meet the same licensing requirements, which is frustrating to people, but that's just how it is. No, I mean it, it makes sense. I mean, you know, when when Ryan and I are talking through some of this stuff, we're we're trying to figure out how to make sure that uh, um, our spouses who are licensed differently than we are um, wind up getting you know value for the company, but at the same time, we also don't want to saddle our partners, our, our business partner, with our our life partner. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Exactly. Um. Now, you mentioned at the beginning, like whenever somebody's serious, is that maybe, you know, six months to a year ahead of like going out on their own? Is it six months to a year after they've started? Like when, when should somebody come talk to you uh, in the planning process or the thought process? Um, and, and like what happens if they get past that point? I mean, at the very beginning, at the very, very beginning, like, hi, we want to start a business. They're going to have to make that entity selection. And in reality, the first time that they do any work at all, they're probably going to need some assistance with their contracts. I recently did, it was kind of interesting, a, a presentation for the U.S. Small Business Administration on their biz fair. And I spoke to a lot of new, brand new business owners on business law, and I actually let them vote on what they wanted to um, hear me talk about. And the vast majority of attendees voted to hear about contracts, which kind of surprised me, but it did make sense because that's one of the biggest issues with new business owners is, you know, how can we set ourselves up so that we're working in a professional way with our clients? Yeah, absolutely. And also, how do we enter into good contracts, you know, with the vendors and, and people that we need to, you know, work with to operate our business well? 
Wonderful. Uh, so what I'm hearing is, is that once somebody is at the point of forming a corporation, uh, forming starting a business, they should sit down and have a conversation with an attorney who's who specializes in helping them select what type of company to start and walking through some of the uh, the details of whether it's a PLLC or a PS um, and specifically for naturopaths, those types of companies as opposed to an LLC, an S Corp, a C Corp, something of that nature. Um, now, if they've already formed a company, uh, whether it's a, a sole proprietorship or, or an LLC or something of that nature, how important is it for them to switch over to a PLLC, a PS? I would say it's pretty dramatically important, but thankfully it's a lot easier to do that than it used to be because Washington now has a pretty handy um, business conversion statute that we, and we recently did that with one of our clients um, converting an LLC to a PLLC. And it, it, for an attorney, it, it, that's pretty standard work and it, it's not that hard. And I would just, if I could add to one of the things that I said, I think another thing that um, those brand new business owners should do in addition to going to see a lawyer is at the same time, really, they should develop a relationship with their CPA because a lawyer likely isn't going to be able to fully answer some of the questions that they're going to have about about taxes and what works best for their you know, business model from a tax perspective. So to have that dual relationship and, and to make sure that those people know that each other exists and they start working together, I think is very helpful for a new business. Yeah, that's one of the things that, that we stress is making sure that you've got a team approach. Like we're at Quantified Financial Partners, we're very familiar with business planning. At the same time, we can't draw up the documents. We're not the ones, you know, doing the, the tax returns and things of that nature. So it's making sure that we've got a good professional team. And the most critical component of that is making sure that we're all working together. Because if you're doing things one way and the CPA is doing things another and the financial planner is doing things a third way... <laughs> Boy, it's a mess, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it really is. And trying to unwind those things can be time-consuming and costly and expensive. Yeah, and so much, you know, the client may be paying for duplication that there's just no reason to incur those costs. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the things that you talked about early on was uh, cost and, and when somebody gets serious and, and they're going to have to outlay some money, What what's the typical... Uh, cost to going ahead and, and starting down this process and, and getting the basics in order? I think it can vary pretty dramatically in terms of the attorney's fees. I mean, here in Seattle, we have larger, you know, downtown law firms, which tend to have higher billable rates. Um, smaller firms tend to have lower rates. That doesn't necessarily mean automatically that the client should choose a smaller firm. It just depends on the needs of the client. And in particular, to explain that answer a little bit further, I mean, I think if a business client works with a smaller firm and they grow, and we've had some of our clients do this, over time, they tend to work with a number of different law firms. Um, we, my firm tends to provide more general services. Um, often they, if they have a particular, you know, pro problems with employees, 
They may hire an employment law firm, you know, a small firm that only does that. They may hire an immigration firm if it's a tech firm and they need, you know, help in terms of the visa process and that sort of thing. They may hire at some point, you know, a business litigation firm. And so they have to be comfortable reaching out to a variety of different law firms and making sure those law firms are communicating or and also you know intellectual property you know there are certain small firms that only do intellectual property work on the other hand if the client chooses to go to a larger law firm um, the business is going to have all of those services likely that's going to come under one umbrella but at a higher rate so it's kind of a trade-off and they just have to pick what's what's the most important thing to them yeah no it makes sense uh it, just to give folks you know again maybe just a, a real high level overview um of and again we're trying to be in a in the ballpark here not pin you down to oh well stacy told it was told us it was going to be exactly this amount um are we talking 500 to a thousand dollars are we talking a thousand to two thousand dollars Five thousand, ten thousand, twenty. What, what's the cost to to in, engage with an attorney and and do the the basic level of setting up a company properly and and getting some of the the basic contracts uh, in in place? I think it can vary widely, but just as a just a very ballpark, I think an initial budget of maybe. Depending on the business, like fifteen to twenty-five thousand, or, or no, five—I'd say five to twenty-five thousand—and a lot of that depends on the nature of the business that's being set up and the law firm that they select. Sure, that that makes total sense. And again, what we're trying to do is help people get a, a ballpark figure so that they know when to start engaging folks and and what that looks like. What are the typical questions that you get when someone starts an engagement? Um, they want to know, obviously, about, you know, entity selection. That's a big thing. And and they also want to know about, um, again, their contracts. They think it's very important to set up, you know, something. Um, it, it, you know, some, many of the small businesses have similar transactions with their customers over and over again. And so they want some sort of template contract, if you will, that they can be able to you know, change very, you know, simple things in that contract, like name, address, rates, that sort of thing, but that the bulk of it remains the same and then send it out over and over again. That's very common. Also, one thing, and I would, I wince when people do not receive counsel on this issue is their commercial lease. That's often, you know, obtaining a commercial lease is, tends to be one of the biggest financial commitments that a business makes. And so many owners don't really understand what they are committing to. Yeah. They, they understand what the landlord has communicated. They understand, you know, big things like I have to pay X every month. But there's a lot of things in the lease that they don't understand. And they don't necessarily understand what may not be in the lease, but could be in the lease to help protect their interests. And yeah, I think the, the the least part of the equation is is enormous. Are there any other questions that you don't oftentimes get asked that either you bring up or that you feel should be brought up 
I, in, in initial conversations? What I really wish that people would talk about that I, I, for, I guess, obvious reasons, people are reluctant to do that is what happened when, you know, business owners initially come in, they don't say what happens if we disagree on how this business is run? What happens if we start fighting? What happens if one of us wants out? And, and if I raise that, I hear more often than not, that would never happen with us. We are like, you know, peas in a pod. We all love each other. We're best friends. We go to the Mariners games. We've known each other for years. We would never, ever, ever fight, which sounds really great until one of them calls me three years later and, and starts screaming at me about what another one does and how much, you know, they want out. <laughs> and I think it's just like, go ahead. It's always better to have these conversations when we have those wonderful, joyous feelings towards each other, as opposed to when we're not agreeing, because when we're not agreeing, like any chance for resolution kind of goes out the door uh, and we wind up getting into to litigation as opposed to, to mediation or, or just uh, friendly conversation. Yeah, I've had some really awful scenarios with people fighting. Um, I've had, you know, the contents of somebody's desk um, and office in my garage because um, the, the relationship was so harsh that there was no way that they could even transfer a personal property in some sort of, you know, civilized adult manner. Um, you know, people locking the other person out of, you know, the business itself, like changing the keys, changing, you know, code so they can't get into, you know, QuickBooks and things that they're actually entitled to see. Um, those, you know, those fights can be so expensive. And even if, you know, they have the best lawyer in the world that sets it up, it's still like a divorce. You know, it still really can tear up a business. So yeah, yeah the importance of getting counsel and, and kind of walking through how it would look like, I think is really important for people. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of as you were talking about this. If if you're having a fight like that, the value of that business has got to just absolutely be plummeting because you've got the two business owners going each other's throats. That that can't be good for uh, the patients of the practice, the clients of the of the firm, like nothing yeah it's clear what they're paying attention to and it's not the day-to-day -day operation of the business and how to make their patients and clients happy right uh so like once we've got the basics set up we've, we've got some of these things like uh understanding commercial leases basic contracts in place the the choice around entity selection uh understanding conflict conflict resolution and, and buy sell type agreements um, once we've got those kind of things in place, how often do these things change? How often should they be monitored? What's the what's the process to after the the initial setup? I think maintenance is a very important issue. That's another question that people tend not to ask: is what do we do to maintain the business entity? It's just like a house. You can't just have your house and just let it go. I mean, we'd all love to do that, but we have to make sure you know, that there's so many things to do to maintain it. Um, and I think, you know, part of that is good governance in terms of 
you know, documenting the major decisions of a business in um, written minutes and that sort of thing, following um, exactly what is required pursuant to a LLC operating agreement or the bylaws of a corporation. Also, you know, I tend to see um, over time, which is very normal, you know, probably the, one of the most typical changes is the entry and exit of the business owners. And it's not just due to, you know, people fighting, you know, over time, you know, lives change. Um, people become ill, they die, they retire, they just burn out. They just, you know, want to do something else. And so I think that's an important um, question that business owners need to um, ask and understand at the onset is, you know, how everybody, you know, including themselves can get out of the business when it's time for them to go. Yeah, it's, uh, th and those things are almost constantly changing, right? And we, so many business owners that they, you know, the things that you were talking about at the beginning in terms of the, the energy of the entrepreneur, the passion, the creativeness does not necessarily lend itself to looking at like, oh, hey, the last time we sat down with our planner or our attorney or our CPA to talk about big picture stuff was five years ago. What's changed since then? You know, they'll, they'll typically only think about it from when these, these big markers come up. Um, how often do you recommend maintenance being done? Is that every year, every three years, five years? Do, I mean, does, what are the things that would cause that to change? Corporations are required by Washington law to have annual meetings. So that just has to happen because that's what's required. LLCs do not have a similar statutory requirement. However, for the LLCs, I would just hate to have any of my clients get sued and just have nothing. You know, like, okay, so we formed, you know, 25 years ago and we never met ever. I don't think that, that doesn't really look very good in terms of a governance standpoint. You know, so usually for our LLC clients, you know, we calendar it for every two years, but we really encourage them to make sure that they're documenting, again, the major decisions of the business. Like suppose, you know, for example, um, they buy a building or they enter into a new lease, or they develop a new banking relationship, they open a new line of credit. You know, those are the sorts of things that should, you know, clearly be from a governance standpoint, have, you know, a, a documented meeting to show, you know, proper consideration by the members. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's amazing how often we, we sit down with business owners and they, they're like, well, what do you mean? We've, we've had these conversations. Right. Well, now, how long ago did you have them and where's the documentation? And are you guys both in still shared agreement over what that is? And they're like, oh, yeah. And then we start digging into what the shared agreement is. And it turns out that it's fairly significantly different. Like those are some of the reasons why we want to make sure that we're doing proper governance and, and have proper documentation of this stuff, right? Absolutely. Wonderful. So. Now, ahead of engaging with you or another attorney, what are some of the things that, that naturopaths need to be thinking about to, to prepare for that meeting? I thought it's interesting because I think it also depends on the type of meeting, you know, what they want to accomplish. But I would say to 
you, you want to make sure, you know, attorneys tend to bill at high rates. And you want to be as productive and efficient as possible. So that means preparing in advance. Thinking, you know, holistically about all the needs and all of the things that they want to discuss. Um, if they have contracts, um, bring them in. Even if they, you know, downloaded some form and, you know, marked it up and they think that that might be a good contract for their business, great. You know, bring it in. You know, bring everything in that, that is needed and, and just make sure, you know, that you are keeping on track, keeping careful notes, understanding um, exactly what the next steps are. And also maybe understanding, you know, what is in that lawyer's wheelhouse and what they um, is not. And so you're going to have to get other professionals involved to be able to accomplish that goal. Wonderful. Yeah, that, you said an absolute ton there. Let me just try and unpack a little bit of it. <laughs> uh, so make sure you're preparing because you're paying for the attorney's time and you want to be as productive as possible. So make sure that you're bringing in contracts ahead of time, make sure you're thinking and understand what the next steps are uh, and, and have some some thought on what that the attorney is, is going to be able to do for you, what they're not going to be able to do for you. What is the, what's the easiest way to make sure that you're selecting the proper attorney as part of that due diligence process? I think Think about the questions that you want to ask and what is really important. Experience is important. Um, you know, the, the, but the lower, the attorneys that tend to have um, less experience are generally going to charge lower rates. The higher, you know, sometimes people with a lot of experience charge high rates. And it's natural for people to think, oh, well, that attorney obviously, gosh, they're just so much more expensive. But it may not be if they're billing by the hour because they may be able to cut through the work so much um, quicker than somebody who isn't, you know, maybe has just been out for a couple of years. I think a big question that clients often don't ask, but they should, is how often the lawyers send out bills. Especially when you're in a smaller firm, um, unfortunately, some of the smaller law firms tend to send out their bills when they have time to send out the bills. And so that can result in a giant shock if somebody has been billing on a file for a couple of months, they haven't really been communicating with the clients about what's going on, and then they just, you know, have time and send up the bill, and it's for thousands of dollars, and the client had no idea any of this was going on and didn't anticipate that. So can you, as much, you know, you have to ask a lot of questions, I think, about billing and about billing practices and what you can expect. Um, you know, how, um, I think lots of communication in terms of when, um, about reasonable timeframes, when work needs to be done, um, whether or not your deadlines can be met, but really at the end of the day, the most important thing I believe in the attorney client relationship is hiring for relationship, hire the person that you like. Because over time, you know, you're going to be having probably conversations with the lawyer that you really don't want to be having. Like, oh, you know, this employee did these embarrassing things and gosh, I shouldn't have done this. 
but I yelled, you know, these embarrassing things back. And this was, you know, these are conversations that you don't want to have with somebody that you dislike, right? <laughs> They're hard enough as it is to get through without feeling really uncomfortable with the person that you're with. So I think if you hire for a relationship over time, you're going to be happy with that. And plus you can stick with the same person because every single time you switch, the new person has to, you know, review the file and figure out what's going on. And there's going to be time and cost naturally associated with that. Yeah. So what, what I'm hearing from you is, you know, once you've gotten past the, the base level of, is this attorney somebody who can work with me for what I need? kind of the base level of competence and, and making sure that you have a have confidence that they'll be able to address the issues and concerns that you've got. The next most important thing is making sure that you enjoy the relationship because you're going to be working together with this person, hopefully for the next 10, 20, 30, maybe even 40 years. And the less that you need to replace that relationship, the, the less cost is going to be incurred overall. And your attorney is not necessarily where you want to go inexpensive. You don't necessarily want to just go out and hire the most expensive either. It's really making sure that you've got that good working relationship. Is that a fair way of? That's a perfect that? way. Yeah. Thank you. I think that's a great way to summarize that. Wonderful. Well, thank you for, for the time today. Let me, let me make sure that I've, uh, you know, capturing a couple of takeaways here for, for the naturopathic physicians that are listening. The, just a recap of our conversation. The first thing we need to do is make sure that, that either right at the beginning, maybe a little bit before or, or right after we decide that we're going to go into business, making sure that we're forming the company correctly, avoiding misformed corporations and companies. Uh, the good news is here in the state of Washington, that's a relatively easy fix to, to convert to either a PLLC or a PS. Um, making sure that folks mm -hmm. get assistance with contracts and, and developing uh, contracts that you can have changeable fields and, and make sure that everything's in order there. Uh, developing a, a team, whether that's with a CPA uh, for the taxes, a financial planner for, for the other planning aspects. Uh, from a rough standpoint, um, you know, have somewhere in the neighborhood of five to $25,000 uh, set aside to you know, do set up. Uh, some of that can probably be done on a, an ongoing basis. Um, and so, so much of it, we don't want it there to be a barrier to, to, to doing planning work, correct? Yes. And I love that because sometimes people come in and they just, they have so many things they want to do. And so I know how expensive all this is going to be. And they say, well, you know, let's kind of pick our battles here. You know, let's just kind of do it one at a time. And then you get the bill for one thing. And then you make sure that, that you know, you feel comfortable with that and you're able to pay for that. And then let's tackle the next thing and just prioritize it, you know, in a, in a serial, logical, serial fashion. Perfect. Uh, the next is understanding conflict resolution and making decisions on how we're going to decide things while we're still friends instead of once there becomes an issue and now we're we're blowing things up. Uh, make sure mm -hmm. that we've got some, some maintenance, uh, good governance documents, making sure we're doing documentation and having regular meetings, whether that's annual, depending upon the, the type of company or every other year, if we're looking at more of the, the PLLC type structure. Um, in terms of preparing for the meeting with an attorney, make sure you're productive with your time and you've done prep work ahead of time. 
because you're paying for your attorney's time. So bring all your contracts, have your ducks in a row before you go and meet with them, understand what the next steps are, and, and really understand what is it that we're trying to tackle today, tomorrow, and in the future so that you can focus your time, energy, effort, and dollars on, on tackling the issues that, that are critical to you. Uh, you made the point of making sure to understand how often an attorney sends out a bill. Uh, I had one particular client who said, set up a contract with a, an attorney where they were going to stop services at $25,000 and they got their first bill at $25,000. So that, it's, uh, <laughs> that, that, came, that came as a bit of a surprise to that client. Um, and, and lastly, yeah, exactly. Problem, it's important to avoid that. For sure. Uh, and lastly, and probably most importantly, the best way to figure out what attorney is appropriate for you is after you've cleared the hurdles of level of competence and, and confirmation that this person is going to be able to help you with your particular situation, is making sure that you get along with them, that you're going to enjoy that relationship, that you have trust and faith uh, with that person, because the goal is to build a relationship over the lifetime of the business. And every time you have to rebuild that relationship, it's going to cost extra dollars. That is an excellent summary. Thank you. You're welcome. Appreciate your time today, Stacey. Uh, look forward to, to catching up with you on, on some other stuff outside of the, the podcast. Uh, thank you for listening today, guys. And, and we look forward to catching up with you here in the near future. Have a great Thanks rest Thanks for having of the day. me. You're welcome. Uh, one last thing, Stacy. before I forget, if folks do want to go ahead and reach out to you, what's the easiest way for, for folks to, to reach out to you uh, uh, professionally to, to have some of these conversations? Um, I would recommend that people go to my website, which is stacyromberg.com, S-T-A-C-E-Y-R-O-M, M as in Mary, B-E-R-G. And that contains your address, phone number, email addresses, plus information about my practice. Wonderful. Have a great rest of the day. We'll talk to you again next week. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as tax, legal, or investment advice. Although the information has been gathered from sources believed to be reliable, please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should be relied upon only when coordinated with individual professional advice. Guest speakers and their firms are not affiliated with or endorsed by Park Avenue Securities, Guardian, or Quantified Financial Partners, and opinions stated are their own. Guardian, its subsidiaries, agents, and employees do not provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Consult your tax, legal, or accounting professional regarding your individual situation. Ryan and Alex are registered representatives and financial advisors of Park Avenue Securities, LLC. OSJ 3585 Maple Street, No. 140, Ventura, California, 909-399-1100. Securities products and advisory services offered through Park Avenue Security, member FINRA, SIPC. Financial representatives of the Guardian Life Insurance Company of America, New York, New York. Park Avenue Securities is an indirect wholly owned subsidiary of Guardian. Quantified Financial Partners is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Park Avenue Securities or Guardian. Number 2019-89304, expiration November 2021.